Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Color analyst for the White Sox, Steve Stone, joins Lawrence Holmes. Try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve Stone is a Cy Young Award winner. He is a fantastic color analyst for your Chicago White Sox, and he is a score baseball expert. As Steve was saying, try it with your bare hand. It's a lot easier that way. Steve actually poked his bare hand in the booth and has cut himself open. Steve Stone talks with Lawrence Holmes. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of blood. Social media got Steve Stone and Lawrence Holmes right now on The Score. The Score senior baseball analyst Steve Stone joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. We love when we get a chance to talk baseball with Steve Stone, and he now joins me on the score. Hey, Stoney. Hello, Lawrence. How you doing? I am doing all right. I'm doing okay. How about you? I know that you were looking for relief broadcasters at the end of yesterday's game, and I think it's an idea that you should explore with Brooks Boyer. Well, look, I mean, we've got pinch hitters. We've got relief pitchers. We have people who come in, uh, certainly not in a tight game, but, you know, in a blowout game, it would be nice. You know, all of a sudden, Jason and I just kind of pack it up and you bring some people in to kill some of the later innings. I don't think that Brooks will necessarily go for that, but it's not a bad idea. And while we're thinking about it, you know, I am now the senior uh, baseball analyst. I would like to be the junior baseball analyst for the score, but apparently, I guess uh, Carl Reiner, Buddy Epson, uh, were not able to uh, to get to Mitch Rosen. So I I guess I'll have to settle for senior baseball uh, uh, analyst. See, it, it's not a thing of age; it's a thing of respect. That's why you're. I mean, you've got the tenure, so that's why you're the senior baseball analyst. Oh, thank you. They always tell that to the old guys. But anyway, uh, how are things going with you, and uh, how are the folks taking the, the latest injury, which is the Lance Lynn injury, and that that in itself, you know, you, you just hope to get out of spring training when you get to the last week to 10 days. You hope to get out without any more injuries. Garrett Crochet was uh, bad enough. He's going to be lost for a year plus, and now it turns out Lance Lynn is... Uh, is also going to have to uh, have surgery. So th- this is not a good ending as far as this particular spring training is concerned. No, it's not. And obviously, like, White Sox fans are taking it pretty hard because you're thinking, look, at the, at the top of the rotation, if you've got Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn, you're in pretty good shape pretty much no matter what. With him being gone for what it looks like at least 
eight weeks, so two calendar months. How do you expect the White Sox to adjust? And, and do you think that that a pitcher like Dylan Cease is ready to take that next step in his development? Well, I think Dylan Cease absolutely is ready to take that next step. The question becomes how quickly can Michael Kopech uh, get it up and ready? Uh, and, uh, you know, will Dallas Keiko pitch a lot better in the spring? I would anticipate he would for the simple reason that uh, this is the last year of his contract. He has all the incentive in the world to come back and put together a solid year. I'd like to see the, the Dallas of, uh, of, uh, of two, um, oh, of, let's say two years ago and instead of the Dallas of, uh, of last year. If we can see that, I think things are going to be in a whole lot better shape. But, you know, look, we were in the running. We were one of the last two teams. It was San Diego and our ball club for Sean Manaya. As it turned out, San Diego's offer was a little more enticing, and uh, Manaya went to the Padres. But I would assume, and knowing Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams as I do, I know that they're absolutely trying to exhaust every aspect of, of getting the Sox, uh, I think, a, another quality starting arm. And, you know, that's, that's not going to be easy because the people that have them uh, at this point are going to ask a king's ransom because they realize the situation that the, the Sox are in. They're certainly not going to do anything that helps them unless it benefits uh, the team that they're coming from. So uh, I think that it's not going to be easy, but I think it is doable. And, and I, I would assume that uh, we'll see something coming up. I know if it, if it doesn't happen, it won't be for lack of effort because I know uh, – uh, that these guys really work hard to try to put this together, and they feel that uh, maybe, just maybe, one more arm, uh, especially a starting pitcher, would be advantageous at this point. It would seem like Oakland is not that interested in competing this year, and I know that they named Frankie Montes their their opening day starter, but do you think that, that it, it would even be possible to, to make a move for a pitcher of that quality on such short notice? Well, I think it's always possible. It, you know, it depends on, Lawrence, exactly what you want to give up. And Montas was probably more expensive than Manaya anyway for the simple reason that Manaya had one more year of control. Montas has two more years of control. It's that control that really gets costly. And, you know, Oakland, if they, uh, the most amazing thing when you say you don't think they're, they're trying to compete this year, uh, if they do trade Montas, they will have around a $25 million payroll. I would assume there's probably 30 major league players who by themselves make more than the entire Oakland Athletics team if they do trade Montas. So I think he's there. I think he's available. I think uh, the owner, John Fisher, wants to divest himself of every vestige of payroll that he has. And, uh, you know, they want to rebuild. They've done a good job over the years of rebuilding on the fly. But they don't have uh, they don't have Bob Melvin anymore. Uh, he is a wonderful manager. He went to San Diego, which is good for the Padres, bad for Oakland. But even more than that, they don't have a particularly strong system, and they don't have a whole lot of rebuilding. But their problems are not the Sox problems. The Sox are sitting there now with a couple of injured pitchers, injuries they don't want to have. And you know you can look at it, and it was almost predictable, Lawrence. Predictable because. If it was ideal to have a three-and-a-half or four-week spring training, if that was ideal in a non-strike or in a non-lockout situation, 
spring training wouldn't be six weeks long. It would be three and a half weeks or a month long. But in an ideal situation where there is no work stoppage, you have a six-week spring training. You have that for a reason, and that's for pitchers. That's to get them ready to go. That's to be able to get there, throw a couple of sidelines, maybe three sidelines, maybe an inner squad game, then get your four or five starts in the Cactus League. That didn't happen this year. This was an accelerated spring training for a number of different reasons. I was very much against this from the beginning. I thought if you accelerated this, if you forced it to get in 162 and brought this to an accelerated pace in spring training, you would open the door to injuries not only in spring training, but a tremendous amount of injuries in April. We're seeing it with the Mets. We're seeing it with the Sox. And you're going to see it with every team because pitchers' arms get torn down in spring training and built back up as you go to a crescendo toward the opening the opening series. That hasn't happened. So that dead arm period that we talk about so much, that's going to happen during the season. And in spring training, when you have a dead arm, when the, the ball isn't quite as lively, the ball isn't breaking as well, you're relaxed because it's spring training. But if you're in a regular season game, you're not going to be able to relax. That's going to cause more injuries. I thought this thing was very short-sighted. I think the people who will pay the price will be mostly the pitchers, but I think a lot of different players will get hurt. You know, that sudden acceleration that you go through, uh, stealing bases, running out doubles and triples uh, from a dead stop, you're going to third base on a base hit, you're going to see a lot of hamstring issues, and you're going to see them, and they're going to keep popping up. And uh, I hope the Sox are by theirs, but, you know, it's a tough situation. How would you suggest that managers, pitching coaches – go about bringing starters along in the season, considering that they're not getting what they need in spring training? Well, I think they addressed it partially by having a 28-man roster for the first month of the season. Uh, You're going to see starters go a shorter period of time. You're going to see real use of the bullpen. Uh, You're going to see high scores. Uh, So for those interested in that, uh, perhaps the over might be enticing early, uh, especially if it's not 25 degrees. But I, I do believe you're going to see more pitchers being used and starters going shorter because you've got to build them back up again. You really have to protect these guys because they haven't had a chance to have that normal spring training. And I'm not saying that they didn't work out during the lockout because they did. Just about every one of them did. But it's different. You can work out, you can throw on the sidelines, you can pitch at a junior high school somewhere or to a high school catcher, even a pro catcher. Uh, but it's just different when you get into spring training against other major league players. And so, you know, this is going to be a tough year. And you just have to hope for the contending teams, they don't lose too many of their stars. But I fear that that's exactly what's going to happen. And I thought it was penny wise and pound foolish. Stoney, you're really good at explaining the human element of the game, even as we get more and more data that helps us try and figure out what's going on. I wanted to to try and understand Craig Kimbrell from, from your point of view. This is a guy who is going to the Hall of Fame. He's an incredible closer, one of the best that's ever done it. Something happens to him when he's not in a closing role. How do you view that as, as someone who's pitched at the highest level, who's won the highest award, in pitching, 
How do you explain guys that have some of these fundamental things that keep them from succeeding in roles that aren't their own? Well, I'll, I'll start the answer by telling you that in the research that I, I do, uh, pretty much on a daily basis, but used to do a whole lot of as far as being on the field and talking with various players and talking with my teammates, I would ask all of the guys that are playing in the major leagues, I would ask them about the role that they were playing. The everyday guys, Lawrence, that's not a problem because, you know, if you're the starting shortstop, if you're Tim Anderson, you're going to hit leadoff, you're going to play every day, and you know the manager has confidence in you. But one of the things when I talk to a role player, when I talk to a guy that was a platoon player sometimes, and sometimes he just filled a role against a certain type of pitcher, I said, how can you excel at what you're doing when you don't have consistent at-bats? How do you keep your rhythm? And he said, the first thing you have to do to excel at the role is accept the role. If you don't accept the role, you can't excel at the role. And so he told me when he accepted the fact that he was not going to be an everyday star in the major leagues, then acceptance set in. That was the problem with Craig Kimbrell. He never accepted the role of a setup man because this was a guy who was a lifetime closer. Obviously, he had his ups and downs as a closer also, as we saw with Boston and we saw when he first came over to the Cubs. But by and large, this is a a top-of-the-line successful closer. That means you're going to get the ball at the end, the game is sitting squarely on your shoulders, and you you are the last act for a winning baseball game. And obviously that role is easy to accept because, you know, that's, that's one with the bright lights. That's one that if you do it well, you make a lot of money, you get a lot of acclaim, you read your name in the headlines, you're among the best in baseball. I mean, look at what Liam Hendricks has been through the last few years, being told that you know, you're, you're as good as it gets, you're the best there is. So when you take that away, when you ask a guy who still believes he can do that to suddenly become a setup man, he does not accept that role. And so all the things that he would do as a closer, and it's, it's a psychological manifestation of a physical act. If psychologically you're not entirely 100% down with whatever it is you're asked to do, you can't possibly do it. And that was the biggest problem. I still believe that Kimbrell can close for the Dodgers. I think he'll do a pretty good job. I think, number one, with Will Smith, I think he'll have a catcher who can who can handle that breaking ball consistently, maybe dig pitches out of the dirt a bit better than he experienced here in Chicago. But I do believe that he can resurrect what has been a terrific career. I think it was a great trade for both teams. If A.J. Pollock stays healthy, and I think that he's in great shape right now, it gives the Sox really what they needed, a guy who can catch the ball, a guy who can certainly hit, steal some bases. I mean, every aspect of the game, he's solid. And it gives the Dodgers what they were looking for, when Kenley Jansen went to the back-end guy to help out Blake Trinan and maybe really solidify that bullpen. So I think because the money was almost similar, it was a no-lose situation for both teams. Both teams traded from abundance. The Sox bullpen is outstanding, and the outfield is pretty crowded for the Dodgers. And so they they made the trade, and I have to credit credit Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams in making that trade. It was a good one, and it was a good one for both teams. I saw on the broadcast yesterday, Chris Kampka did the side-by-side. You took the guy on the right, which no one was surprised about, and Jason took the guy on the left, and the two guys end up being Mookie Betts and A.J. Pollock over the last 162 games. I 
I was flabbergasted by the fact that he he is right there with Mookie Betts over the last 162. The key with Pollock is just keeping him healthy. There's no question about his talent. No, he's he's always been a good player. I remember when he came up with the Diamondbacks, watching him go get him in center field. He was really a state-of-the-art center fielder. He might not have been quite as fast as some of the burners out there, but as far as getting a jump on the ball and being able to throw it accurately and set up, his technique is very good. I think he's just solid. And so, uh, yeah, he was he was something. And the only thing really that's been able to stop him all these years has been the physical aspect of it because he's gotten hurt a lot. And, you know, it's not his fault. He doesn't want to get hurt. Baseball players want to play. That's what they do. Uh, as far as the last 162, nobody's going to tell you that A.J. Pollock is as good as Mookie Betts. Certainly the Dodgers won't tell you that. But Mookie Betts is one of the greats in baseball. There's no doubt about it. And uh, he's had some... He's had some physical problems. That's really stopped Mookie Betts from being the player that that he normally is. When he's healthy, he's devastating, and certainly uh, a big part of that that Dodger juggernaut that they have. But yeah, I, I think the people they shouldn't short sell what AJ Pollock can do because he's a very talented uh, young man. Stony, outside of the the, the guys that have, we talked about that are injured. This is a season that you've said you think that the people at the White Sox think it can be a special season. What's the thing that you're most excited about going into this season? You know, last year when Eloy went down early and then slowly, as we eased into the year, getting used to no Eloy, Luis Robert went down. And now you had you had probably a total, let's call them both in a healthy year, they're going to hit 70 home runs. They're going to drive in close to 200 runs. They're going to steal some bases in the case of Luis Robert, and, and they're going to help set up an offense that should be devastating. Not having them was very tough for the ball club, but they overcame it last year. I don't think I, I don't think Eloy was the same all year long. So I look forward to a healthy Robert, a healthy Jimenez, and a lineup that should be devastating. I mean, this lineup is relentless. They're going to make it really difficult on opposing pitchers if they don't have really good stuff. Uh, we're not going to see the lineup, unfortunately. We're not going to see the regular lineup for the first two games because Tim Anderson will not play a couple of games because he's suspended from that on-the-field break uh, last year. Uh, but, again, it's only two games. So um, I'm excited about this lineup being together. Uh, Grandal is healthy. I think that we can see from both sides of the plate when he's healthy, he can really hit. And because they are in need of a left-hand a left-hand presence in that lineup, Rondal, Moncada, uh, Sheets if he plays, Leary Garcia when he plays, that's going to give you those left-handed bats, but I think they need a, a left-handed presence consistently, and uh, this lineup is is a really tough lineup, especially when you add Pollock to it. Stoney, as always, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you. I can't wait for, for all of the opportunities I'm going to get to talk baseball with you throughout the season. Lawrence, it's Friday afternoon. That's when it kicks off against the uh, the Detroit Tigers, who are going to be an improved team. And it should be just a really exciting season. So hopefully everybody stays healthy. Hopefully you stay healthy. I'll try to stay healthy and keep Jason healthy, and we'll go from there. So have a good rest of the show. Enjoy everything. And uh, it's going to be a special year, I think, on the south side of Chicago. I hope you're right. I'll see you at the ballpark. That is Steve Stone, the score senior, with love and respect baseball analyst.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.